0: Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all are brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer, we can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C Certified Brew Head, and welcome to episode 76 of Beer Not the Shit the Podcast adjunct series. We are back again this evening. we got something a little different, uh, as you guys know, if you've been following us for a while. One kind of style or, or sort of you know genre of beers that we haven't covered a lot of on uh, here on BOS is Belgian style beers. Uh, we've done episodes where we're talking about that's what we used to drink a lot of when we first kicked off. When we first got into beer, it was like literally everything that mattered for us. So now we're actually going to learn a little bit more about it tonight, which I'm genuinely excited for because you know we talk a lot about everything else, but this is one style that I, like uh, like genre sorry that I just want to learn a bit more. So. For the first brewery we've ever had from Florida, we have Kevin from Barrel of Monks in the building. There he is. Wow. (laughs) Right? Such enthusiasm. (laughs) Brought the crowd for you, man. How you doing, bro? Great to meet you. Uh, uh,
1: Wonderful. I'm doing great. It's an honor and a privilege to be here with you, to talk with somebody that is enthusiastic and passionate about craft beer, as I believe I am.
0: Yes, sir. I love it, man. Really glad we connected, and like I'm saying, first brewery from Florida, setting records out here. I'm pretty sure anyway, I'm like 99% sure, but let's just let's call it, let's call it.
1: Let's just roll with it, let's just let's go with, with first Absolutely from Florida, is. I like being the first of anything. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of that, that was a terrible segue. We're gonna kick off with, I thought I had something in there for a second, There, eh? I was like, oh, that was a good one, yeah. <laughs> Um, we, oh No, you said the first of anything. That's what I was going for. The first beer. See, I had an idea. I just, I we got it. there. <laughs> we got there. We're going to kick off with this one. A, uh, a fantastic blonde ale with guava called Single in Havana. A uh, 4.5% Belgian-inspired ale. Do you want to uh, tell us about this one? Huh?
1: More than anything. So <laughs> Single in Havana. So we are a Belgian-inspired brewery. That means that everything we do has Belgian ale yeast in it. And we mostly use 90% of what we use are European malt and hops, the same ingredients that you would get in a classic Belgian style beer. Yeah. And we've been doing this now for almost seven years. So we're the specialized people in Belgian beer. And we started our brewery off with a, uh, that simple classic Trappist single, double, triple quad, saison, wit beer, what have you. And over time, we've grown into more tweaks, Americanizations of some of these styles, right? Just because we are in South Florida, we are in a culture that values... It's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of scene, right? Craft beer is. Uh, So we started doing some more adjunct kind of stuff, some more fruit, some more different spices, barrel aging, what have you. One of the beers that we started this whole thing with was a beer called single in the sun and single in the sun is a Belgian single or ankle or Patters beer. All are appropriate for that style of beer. Yeah. Usually around 4% uh, often uh, considered or not considered or often it is the lightest and the lowest alcohol of the Trappist beers. And there's not a lot of people in the United States that are doing them. Have you ever had a, a single or a Patters beer?
0: Definitely had yeah. Patters beer. Yeah. Like I think yeah. father's <laughs> beer, right? Like for the father. Yes,
1: because perfect. So traditionally, this is what the monks drank every day instead of water, right? Because back in the day, when water was unhealthy and bacteria ridden, you boiled it, you threw in some hops, you got preservatives. No one keels over; everyone stays lightly buzzed throughout the whole day. So that's where this style comes from. And uh, we had this beer; it was one of our most popular beers, a flagship for us. And we started doing a seasonal fruit beer. And one of the, the ones that we did that ended up being the runaway hit was our guava version of our single called single in Havana. And uh, the beer is brewed with guava. And we add the guava during fermentation, which is really important. I think as you're trying it, you're not tasting a lot of residual sugar. This is dry. It's drinkable, which is a big deal when it comes to doing these fruit beers for me. But the, the story is uh, my, my wife is of Cuban descent. She's a first generation American and uh, she, you know, the pastelito de guayaba, which I always butcher that when I say it, but the guava pastry, a Cuban guava pastry, uh, very popular in our, in our family. And we wanted to kind of replicate those kind of flavors. Mm-hmm. So uh, single Navana was born. It was a seasonal and basically by request of our fans and our distributors, we moved it to a year round beer. About a year and a half ago, so in the middle of the COVID pandemic, we decided to launch this as a year-round product and package, and it's it's really caught on for us.
0: I can imagine this smells incredible. First of all, cheers, man. Appreciate it. Cheers to you.
1: Mm. Okay.
0: So dry,
1: drinkable, lightly fruity, not over the top.
0: What is the the base? Just to, to talk about, you talk about the patters beer or the single or whatever, the actual base of this beer? So I'm definitely getting a lot of the, there's some bitterness in there. This is my first beer of the night. So I always find my palate takes time to adjust. <laughs> so I think it exaggerates some of the qualities for the first beer. Is it incredibly bitter or is it just hitting me because it's uh, a, it,
1: it should not be incredibly bitter. I would, I would say, uh, there is, you know, we're using Magnum hops. We're using, um, uh, Sa's, We're using just very classic, European old world style hops and trying to give a balance to it, right? So you've got a little bit of sweet malt flavor. You've got a little bit of the esteriness of the yeast strain. This is our house yeast strain that we use. Um, I'm sorry. I said estery more phenolic. So a little bit more spicy, the fruit flavor all comes from the guava that we use, so we think it has a good balance there. At 4.5%, it's really quaffable and it's dry for the style and for fruit beers. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's taken off in a oppressively hot environment that we have in Florida, basically year-round. So uh, we don't do winter. So, <laughs> so in January, people are reaching for a hot for a for a cold beer and a crisp beer on the beach.
0: I love it. This makes complete sense. Very jealous. We're in Montreal, so obviously it gets minus, <laughs> sometimes minus 40 Celsius. It's a, it's a great time. Um,
1: I, I was, I'm from Detroit originally, so maybe not well, quite that cold, but, uh, but pretty good. cold. Yeah, <laughs> so
0: you understand. You, you're smart. We yeah. have a I, in Canada, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: true. Yeah, I, I, ran away to, I ran away almost 20 years ago, and I haven't looked back.
0: I can imagine. I I feel like (laughs) in Quebec, they have that. I guess you might be familiar, actually. They have what they call the snowbirds. And they're the bunch of like typically, not always retired, but maybe wealthier folks that spend half the year here and the other half in Florida. You spend five years and like 28 days. No, sorry, five months and like 28 days because Canadians Mm -hmm. are allowed up to six months in the States. But if you're away for more than half the year, you lose your health care. So they stay for just under. Then they come back here probably like May through november and then as soon as it gets shit the they they're off back down there
1: i wasn't aware of that piece i mean i've i when i moved down here in 2021 2022 i worked at restaurants and bars for the first 10 years i was down here before i got into the beer business and we know the snowbirds very well because a uh, a cozy Italian restaurant on Del Rey beach was a tourist and a snowbird Haven. But I didn't realize that about the healthcare. That's very interesting.
0: That that's why they do go back. Um, <laughs> I, I imagine there's snowbirds from everywhere, but for some, my girlfriends from Toronto, we were out there first. Uh, I've been in Canada 11 years now. And um, so the first few years there, the rest here, and I've learned specifically about Quebec. There's some sort of an affinity for Florida where, Most people I know here—that's where they go for vacation. Like to the point where it's like, kind of, it feels ridiculous. Like, really, you all do this? Oh, like it's it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, I understand why. It's just like when the whole province has one specific place that they all like to go to—it's a funny cultural thing.
1: The really funny thing is—is I'm from the Midwest uh, in the U.S., so everybody that comes down to live permanently or to vacation from the Midwest is all on the west coast of Florida. Naples, that area. Right. Everybody from Boston and New York is all on the east coast on my side, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, that area. And that's a weird cultural divide that I'd, it almost seems like everyone got together like uh, 60 years ago and said, okay, everyone, we're going here. <laughs> this like, is okay, where is. I guess we're following Steve. <laughs> We're going to go where Steve goes.
0: I, I, it's all about Steve. Well, that's a, could be, you know, that'd be a little bit too niche. Um, that's awesome. I love it, man. It kind of makes me a little jealous uh, that, uh, that we don't have that, but very smart. So tell us about how you personally got into beer. Like, how did you get into beer? Well, obviously, you were saying you worked in the restaurant beer, so I imagine you're probably exposed to a lot of stuff out there. Um, and then how that led to the, the brewery starting
1: so the I I grew up like most kids in my generation, at least, stealing really cheap, bad beers out of my parents' and uncles' coolers during parties, right? So being from Detroit, it was Stroh's, and that was our local brewery uh, that, that produced mediocre lagers in our area. And I thought that's what beer tasted like. I didn't particularly care for it, but I drank it because – I wanted to look cool. And eventually I found like Killian's Red and, you know, beers of that ilk and said, wow, this is like the cool stuff. So I'm going to bring this to parties when I turn 21. And everyone thought I was really awesome and didn't realize that that was still kind of mass produced, slightly more flavorful, but not what we ultimately want to get to. And then it was Sierra Nevada. And then the Belgians really... With my gateway, when I first had Saxo Blondale or Nostradamus or Delirium Tremens, and went, "Whoa, I've never—this isn't beer. This is not what beer tastes like," and then was explained to very slowly, "No, this is what beers did taste like until." the prohibition destroyed the beer industry in the US and made everything taste like Budweiser. So uh, that was kind of my uh, my initiation into the craft beer world. But at the time I was drinking those beers, I was working as a wine steward or a sommelier at a fancy Italian restaurant in Delray Beach, Florida. And beer was not my focus, wine was. And it was wine and food pairings, it was whiskeys, it was the entire liquor and that kind of program. And that was my gateway into beer because I, I really wanted to make wine. Right. And I you can't make good wine in Florida. Grapes don't travel, right? right. But barley and hops and yeast, they all do. Mm. So I became a home brewer because I wanted to make an artisanal product in my garage and basically become a glorified janitor and spend six hours cleaning stuff. And that's and that's where I got into to craft beer, really got into craft beer. And that was my gateway into my first brewing job and so on and so forth.
0: Amazing. So where did you start when you got your first brewing job? That was, where was that, uh, which brewery was that at?
1: So have you ever heard of Funky Buddha Brewing? Yes, I actually have. So Funk, Funky Buddha is the second biggest brewery in Florida. They are a national, international brand now. They're owned by Constellation. When that brewery started, it was a tiny hookah lounge that was mostly frequented by college kids. It was teas and craft beer and and slam poetry, right? That's what the place was. And they decided, yeah, the, the, the owner decided, I want to open a brewery because it was a beer wasteland in Florida previously. There was no one doing craft beer. Cigar City hadn't even opened yet, which is the big dog down here. And they had no experience brewing. They were homebrewers themselves, the two owners. And I just met them in the scene and I just kind of raised my hand and said, I'm a homebrewer. I'll I'll brew for you. And that's how it started. We started on a one barrel homebrew setup. I mean, literally 55 gallon drums, fabricated ourselves, 42 gallon Blickman fermenters. I mean, just the most rudimentary kind of uh, system to start in. And that's where I started. And I did all the first batches for that brewery. I worked for them for three and a half years. I opened the production facility in Oakland Park where they still reside today. And uh, that was my my first foray into the business. W- ended up being with a brewery that sold for like $60 million or whatever the heck it was, or $110 million or something a couple of years ago. And that, that, that's a pretty cool thing.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great legacy to leave right there. That you really started that off. Okay, amazing. So that allowed you to get your feet wet in the industry, really understand, you know, the 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 transition, I guess, going from the home brewer to professional brewing. Um, At what point did you did you leave uh, them to go to start your brewery, or did you have a (laughs) few other? I
1: had I had one stop in between. So you know, they're good people and they deserve everything that's worked out for them at Funky Buddha. But I was not happy. Okay. Honestly, I wanted to do some other things, and it just I, it wasn't a good spot for me. So I, I I went to a good friend of mine, Mike Hawker at Do South Brewing, which is in Boynton Beach, Florida, and he gave me a little a little year and a half respite uh, to go in there, brew beer for him. And I kind of knew Barrel Amongst was coming. My partners, my friends at that time, my soon to be partners were in the midst of doing it, but they weren't ready. And I didn't want to stick around where I was. So it was one of those kind of things where I went into South. He said, listen, give me a year or so. And if you want to leave, when you have that opportunity, you're going to have a piece of the business. I'm not going to ever hold that against you. So I brewed there for about a year and a half, learned a lot because it was a different system, different philosophy. That was invaluable to me because every brewery is different and people don't Realize that when you're not in the industry, so uh, got that under my belt, became a better brewer, learned more about the industry, and then we opened Barrel Amongs almost seven years ago. Okay, and uh, I mean I was there at the ground floor when the concrete was being poured, building the system out. I brewed as the head brewer for a few years, and then my operations manager left, and it was time for me to take on a new role. And now I'm director of operations. I I have forgotten everything about brewing so I'm a complete moron now when it comes to that and I sit up on my button new emails but I oversee uh, sales, marketing, production, tapes, tasting room, pretty much everything.
0: Okay amazing. Um, then with the the styles of beer that you ended up doing obviously based on the name you know people know anything about Belgian beer it's pretty obvious that that's what you're doing Barrow of Monks is kind of very suggestive. So I imagine that that was kind of always your goal. You always were going into your own brewery to do Belgian style beers. Is that it?
1: So not really. So I re- This is what I love about doing Belgian styles. I love specializing in one thing. I love if you're gonna get great Italian food, don't go to Applebee's, right? They, may, they might have a good pasta dish on the menu, but they're not making it the real way. Right. You've got to go to a great Italian restaurant. And I think that beer, listen, people can wear multiple hats. I made great IPAs in my career. I made great adjunct beers. I made great sours. But when you specialize in something, you can get really, really good at it. So I love that idea. But as much as Belgians were a gateway for me, before opening Barrel of Monks, I was drinking mostly IPAs and stouts and you know, I was riding the hype train of the beers at that time. Belgians weren't it. It was really my three partners that were passionate about Belgian beer, traveled to Belgium every year and fell in love with these styles. And they said, Kevin, we're opening a Belgian brewery. I hope that's okay with you because we want you to be our head brewer, but we're going to do this Belgian thing. There's no one else doing it we love it. It's a passion project for us. And I hope you're on board. And I had to get behind it. And I had to do my research and drink a lot of Belgian beer and say, is this the kind of thing I want to do for the rest of my life? Because that's the goal.
0: Right. And was that a, uh, was that a bit of a challenge? Because like, I imagine that the other breweries, you probably would, maybe you brew Belgian beers as a home brewer, but you probably weren't doing that. Maybe like you just said, maybe you did one or two here and there. The other two, breweries, but I imagine you weren't like as experienced as a professional brewer in this specific sort of field.
1: You're right on there. I I wasn't. I'd used Belgian yeast and I understood the principles of Belgian brewing, but definitely wasn't a specialist at it. I had an ace in the hole. My partner, Bill McPhee, one of the three principal owners, was a home brewer himself. He went to the Master Brewers Academy, even though he's a radiologist. He went and studied brewing. And he was the kind of home brewer that would do the same wit 30 times with a slightly different temperature, a slightly different yeast strain, what have you to refine it. So what really convinced me to leave a very good gig with a reputable brewery that was doing good business and really bet on myself and my partners was I'd go to their house and do brown bag tastings. And he'd have his triple brown bag blind. And we'd have St. Bernard's triple brown bag blind. And I tried them both and said, man, these are both really, really good. I can't tell you which one's the professional beer. Mm -hmm. And I said, if you can, if you guys already have some expertise that I can learn from, and my job is scalability and structure, and I can learn from that, Mm -hmm. then we've got it made in the shade. So Mm -hmm. I, I was lucky to have someone to lean on and help teach me. And you never stop learning. Never, never, never. I don't care if you've been in this business twenty years. Any brewer that's not trying to learn a new thing should be getting out of the business.
0: I think that applies to damn near anything in life, really. Okay, that's awesome. So then, going into the brewery, what did you open with? Was it uh, was it all Belgians, or was it is that how it started? Because obviously, we'll, and we'll get to it. You are doing other styles of beer as well that you chatted about it on the email. But when you opened, what was the what was look like?
1: So we opened with the philosophy, we only did 750 bottles. Uh, Only uh, everything we did was bottle conditioned. Everything was Belgian ale yeast. Everything was European malts and hops. Everything was as traditional as you possibly could make it. And even when we did a beer that was adjunct, like a a chocolate, Uh, and by the way, I do a Belgian porter, a Belgian brown ale, everything did not have to be a Trappist style, but even when I did a... Of a chocolate porter. So I did a Belgian porter with cocoa nibs. The cocoa nibs were subtle. They they were not trying to be dominant in the flavor profile. And it's funny, I we did a collaboration beer with Fort Le Pen, which is a great craft brewery in Belgium. And we did a beer with hibiscus and coriander. And the amount of coriander and hibiscus they put in there was one third of the coriander I put in my wit beer. And this was for a triple. Right. The spicing and the subtlety of the flavors in traditional Belgian beer is that, that they almost don't even want you to taste it. They want it to be a memory, that, that faint fog, that an implication of a flavor. It's really interesting. And we started with the idea of that kind of subtlety and realized that the American palate really kind of needs to be hit over the head with flavors. So we've adapted a little bit since. But no, we opened as a, a very traditional Belgian-style brewery.
0: Okay. I saw like you said implication of a flavor. That's a great episode name. I love that. I had to note that. It's <laughs> cool. Um, okay. That's, so that's really interesting because you're 100% right. Like the way the beer has moved, it's the complete opposite. We're just punched in the face with flavors. I imagine probably since the, uh, the, the IBU wars of the early 2010s where everyone's trying to ramp it up and get as you know, much enamel off your teeth as possible. So then that's really cool that that's what you've learned from the Belgian stuff. So how was the initial reaction being that like you said Florida wasn't a wasn't known for craft beer? I mean it absolutely is now. And also like how did you know how did it feel like did you did it feel like you fit in the scene as exi- as it existed being that you were doing something that almost never occurred?
1: Not really. I mean, the thing is, is that we came along at the time where craft beer was exploding in South Florida, where literally everybody was opening a brewery. I mean, people that didn't even know anything about beer just thought it was a good investment to open a brewery. I I think they should have looked at their business models a little bit better, personally. But... Uh, it was it was in that time, so we were kind of we came along at the same time as a lot of other locals. So it be, it didn't it got to a point where just being local wasn't enough, and you had to kind of uh, stand out in some way. And we found our niche with our wit beer because we thought, okay, well, our Belgian wit, there's a blue moon tap at pretty much every decent sized bar that sells craft beer or any kind of beer. So we've got an in with one of our brands. I'm not necessarily trying to sell triple to uh, to I admit, like a chain, like an Applebee's or what have you. I'm not sure what chains you know you have around your way, but uh, so we weren't ever going to try to go after that market on a distribution way. But as far as bringing people into our tap room. Uh, the way our taproom is set up, it looks much more like a wine bar. There's marble, there's wood, there's chandeliers. It's, it has this old world feel. So we really set our business up very differently as far as a, our face to the public that walks into a grocery store and finds our wit is very different than the face of the people that come in for a $25 bottle of barrel-aged imperial stout. And we still have that dichotomy. We're always fighting with it. And it's been a struggle when you, when you specialize, you get good at something, but you also run into the problem where my sales rep goes to a bar and they go, man, I love you. You're a great guy. I want to support you. I want, i give me any keg of IPA you have. And I go, well, we don't have one. Right. Oh, so, you know, we've, we've had to learn, we've had to pivot. We've had to change some of the things we've done while still kind of staying true to our our, ba- our base principles.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So then, I, and that's, these are all pretty unique uh, challenges. I would imagine that the average brewery probably wouldn't have to face as much the average brewery being you know, the ones that make the IPAs and whatever the kids are drinking these days. So then how long did it take for you guys to go from that sort of strict 750? Like what was the next step? from the 750s? Because obviously, you know, what we're drinking right now, which I imagine is probably newer is a, uh, how many ounces is this? 12? 10?
1: It's a 12 ounce American long neck. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you can't bottle condition in that bad boy. Uh, (laughs) It it, it was the fact that we had, just because we have beers that are classic, like a wit beer, does not mean that you can't put a wit beer in a 12 ounce bottle. We all know that there are with beers in 12 ounce bottles. So, and they don't have to be bottle conditioned. They don't have to age three years, like a triple can or a quad can. So we knew we had the beer in our wit as our flagship that if we really wanted to take it to the next level, and we are we have a 20 barrel brew house. I've got two eighty barrel fermenters, two forties and, and six twenties. We've got 10,000 square feet. We are not a small facility. When we opened this brewery, we were not planning on being a corner bar. We were planning to distribute throughout the whole state. I mean, right now I'm doing business in eight states and three different countries uh, with my Barrel of Monks brand. So we had those aspirations. So in order to do that and really penetrate the culture, you've got to be in grocery stores, you've got to be in chains. And we took that next step with bottles as opposed to cans. That was probably a mistake, by the way, but we thought it was an easier transition for the kind of things that we were doing. If I had it to do over again, I wouldn't have made that choice. I would have jumped into cans immediately. Because right now, the market has finally shifted so people aren't terrified of cans anymore. And, uh, and our even our clientele is okay with it. Even Duval is doing beer in cans. So if they're doing it, I think we should be doing it.
0: That is that is fair. And, and kind of, I was, as you were sort of saying it, I'm just thinking, like, how many... Because, you know, the whole can versus bottle thing is such an interesting conversation because it really all just... There's no, like, real rules around it. It's like, well, it's kind of weird to have a barrel-aged imperial stout in a can. And I guess it's kind of... I am about to say it's kind of weird to have a lager in a bottle. That's not true. So I feel like it's almost weird to have, like, a, a New England IPA in a bottle. I, I don't think I've seen many of those at all. So now that... You are correct. I think a lot of people sort of forget that, that that cans meant cheap and nasty. Cans were what all the cheap beers, the Buds, the PBR, all that type of shit were in, and it wasn't looked upon as higher class, particularly, I guess, for you guys who were exclusively selling in these $25, 750s. So then have you considered looking into cans since? I mean, I know we're going to talk about, we will be cracking the can shortly. um, So obviously you've done some, but that wasn't a Belgian-style beer.
1: Well, so the beer that we're going to talk about it might not be a traditional Belgian style, but it's done with Belgian yeast, right? It's done with still what they're done with our house yeast strain, which s- keeps us rooted in some way to what our principles are, right? But the idea was uh, for this year, it was it was two thousand twenty one, was to branch out and show show the people in our neck of the woods that we don't just do Belgians because it's all we can do. We do Belgians because we love them and that we're really, really good at them. But if you want an IPA, if you want an adjunct stout, if you want a fruit, uh, fruity sour, we've got the talent of people on staff that can do that stuff too. And it's small production. We're not talking about much distribution at all. And we wanted to keep it all in-house. We bring in a mobile canning line to do this. And it's been a fun project because it's given our brewers some fun stuff to do and hang their hat on. I mentioned the fact that we never made an IPA. Well, I brought in a brewer uh, two years ago who was a hop fanatic. His favorite thing was New England IPAs. And he said, I want to make these. And and I'm going to show you that we can make a good one. And Belgian yeast and traditional citrus hops from the U.S., almost always tastes like cough syrup to me. Mm. I, I think that they have a really astringent flavor. There was a huge wave of Kelly Belgique and Raging Bitch and all these Belgian IPAs, Belgica, that came out years ago. And I thought they all tasted good for one sip. And then they were cloying and undrinkable afterwards. Mm. And when he proved to me that you could take our Belgian yeast with all the new wave of hops, with all their fruit-forward, mango, passion fruit, guava flavors, and... Make an IPA our way, I said, well, we'd be stupid not to make this beer. It's taken a long time, but we got there so it's it's a it's a mixture of the talent and the desire to do something fun and interesting, and the market saying, Hey, try this as well.
0: I like that I, I like the uh, the attitude and the approach to the growth and to the sort of you know switching it up and being willing to. You know, maybe sort of uh, pivot a, a touch, as you mentioned, from the original kind of plan. And I didn't realize that they were made with the house yeast, so I'm actually extra fascinated to see how that comes from from the stout specifically. So then, um, what were the first styles that you introduced? Actually, I'll ask you this question. I'm going to run and grab the uh, the whip. Um, mm-hmm. What were some of the first styles that you introduced that weren't Belgian styles that you, you know, maybe were and, and I guess it was probably from popular demand and what what people were wanting. But yeah, where, where did that begin? And I'll be back in 2 seconds. So,
1: yeah, so so we did I I think if you go for the traditional Belgian styles even in the first year or two we were doing some things that were definitely not old world Belgian doing a beer like our cherry chocolate quadruple. So it's a quad, it's brewed with Belgian yeast, it's brewed with with uh European malt and hops, but we use cherry, uh Michigan cherries and cocoa nibs. So We've done stuff like that, those kind of adjunct or flavored beers off of our Belgian bases, really in, in, since the beginning. When we really pivoted this year, we focused on doing some IPAs, double IPAs. I sent you a triple IPA uh, that were that is honestly one of the best beers we've ever made. Mm. And I'm proud to say that as not even a hop guy. I, I was not a part of the big New England craze. It's not something that I personally loved. And this, the beers that we've been making, and of course, I'm biased. I mean, I I know that for sure. But those beers have reawakened that love for hops for me. So it was really the IPAs. It was doing some some sour beers, some fruited sours uh, that really got us kind of going down this road and trying new things. For our anniversary, our sixth year anniversary, we have always done a 750 cork and cage barrel age version of one of our big beers. Always. We wanted to age five years. Classic. This year, we did a 16 ounce, four pack, a double IPA called Just to Prove a Point. And that was us saying, listen, you have a perception of what Barrel Amongst is, and you're mostly right. But if you give us a chance and try our double IPA, our IPA, our, you know, pastry stout next to somebody else's, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. And this is coming from a guy who made his bones off a beer called Maple Bacon Coffee Porter. That's how I'm, you know, the reason I'm in this industry and I've been successful is the fact that I was one of the people that made that beer. So I know a thing or two about some of these things and I've done them in the past.
0: I love that. I love that. That is amazing, bro. (laughs) Uh, the cherry chocolate quad—that is fascinating. I've never seen a quad with uh, adjunct. Period. Kind of, uh, th- that's
1: a beer we do every year uh, when we release it around uh, Valentine's Day, and it's—it's uh, it's been a very popular beer for us, and it's a lot of fun. That's a beer that it doesn't go over the top with the flavors. It doesn't. It's, it's still trying to be a beer with a hint of those flavors, not fruit juice and chocolate with a hint of beer uh so we're still always riding that balance and it's always a fight by the way every time we make one of these beers that that toes that line we want to have a conversation what are we trying to make are we trying to make something classic with a hint of flavor or do we want to go over the top with it and sometimes we go with a and sometimes we go with b
0: okay that's just fascinating is that like um is that something that's like did the traditional belgian purists get pissed at adding? stuff to their, you know, classics that we is a normal or uh, traditional.
1: We, there, there are, my partner, Bill hates it. He hates <laughs> everything we do with this stuff. He, I, I, it's, it's, he's the, he's the North star of the brewery, right? I, if it wasn't for him, we'd probably go too far in the other direction because we're, we're trying not just, I don't just want to ride the trends, but we're also listening to people and seeing what they like. Right. So, Uh, Yeah, there's definitely people in the classic Belgian community that, that frown on this, but things are changing everywhere. The young brewers in Belgium aren't just making subtle, ageable triples. They're making IPAs. They're making adjunct beers. They're using tons of fruit. It's not just an American thing or Canadian thing or what have you. It's a worldwide thing. The craft beer phenomenon is real. These flavor profiles travel. Uh, we have the internet now. I don't know if people realize it. I think they're listening to a, a podcast on it, right? Like, it's not like anything's a little kept secret anymore, you know? Uh, so when when hazy IPAs and pastry stouts are going over big here, you better believe it. They're doing the same thing
0: in Sweden. Mm, that's a great point. I mean, yeah. You're, I, I feel like we're, uh, all of us over here, and I imagine in every country, you kind of like just, because beer is such a local thing for the most part, you kind of just looking around, so even thinking like this, I guess there's just like that lack of understanding of exactly what's going on in Sweden. I mean, we get a bit on the pole and whatever, but you just don't know exactly because the stuff that we get out here, because you know Montreal's in Quebec, it's a French province, and we have a strong connection with Belgium. Almost all the styles here, for most of the beer history here, have all been Belgian. It was only in the mm-hmm. last few years that, in my opinion, it caught up with the rest of the world, where you know with New England's and smoothies and you know, lagers, even like they weren't even really doing that, it was just like blondes for the most part. So now they're kind of all really caught up. So I, f- I found that all the things that we get here when like people are obsessed with Cantillon and Dreyfontein and all that type of stuff, which are amazing stuff, but we don't see the the other side of that. We only see the traditional. And when I think of Belgian, I think of tradition. And therefore, when you say cherry chocolate, quad, I'm like, I wonder if they'd be pissed because I know there's a lot of peers here that don't like anything that's not traditional uh, people seem to get a little funny about it in beer. I'm not particular. I don't know about you, but I'm not uh, personally attached to anything like that. So I'm down for crazy shit. I'm crazy. as fun.
1: <laughs> there are styles of beer right now that I ha- don't understand. Uh, the um, smoothie sours. Yeah. I don't understand it. Yeah, I, 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 to I've it. had, a, no, I, I've had a few. They taste really good. Okay. They're taste they're a tasty beverage there is no doubt if you were trying to make a beer with a little bit of tartness and just a ton of fruit flavors gotcha. they're amazing it's not beer to me right i'm the old man i'm the old man shaking my fist at a cloud right i'm that traditionalist when it comes to that gotcha. but i i would never say that's not beer I would never say people shouldn't do it I would never say it's offensive I would never no push the envelope do what you like to do i don't care what that is and i think that's really important people should be pushing the envelope they should be trying new things and they should be trying to find a market for the things that are they're passionate about it doesn't mean that you're going to bring everybody along for the ride you know my partner bill who's more traditional than me thinks that the last beer we're going to try is an abomination and should never be drank by any human being in the world right so there's there's radical to all of us it's just where that point is across the line and i think that's important you know respect people and their in their and what they like
0: i i agree wholeheartedly that's uh really well said and and uh on that we are going to crack the next uh one which i just pulled here which is the wizard the come on come on there come you go the belgian white <laughs> ale which uh, i guess that would be a uh, specifically a wit a belgian yes. white is a wit okay cool
1: Belgian white, wit beer, wit, all pretty much synonymous. They all can be used interchangeably. Uh, So Wizard was the first beer we ever brewed at Barrel Monks. That's batch one. It was the – what's that?
0: Oh, sorry. As you said it, that's a a great point to write down here. Oh, (laughs) gotcha. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, so it was the beer that built the brewery. I mean, at one point, it was 75 to 80% of our production was wit. Since that, Havana has become a a number two flagship, and it's kind of past it, quite honestly. But the wit is still the straw that stirs the drink. It's the thing that keeps the lights on. And my goal with this beer was to make sure that we had a beer that had the flavors of orange and coriander that did not leave you sweet. The American Belgian beers, for the most part, are pretty bad. And they're not bad because they don't have good flavors. They're bad because they don't attenuate their freaking beers. Right. Belgian beer should not be sweet. Not every style at least. And you find that your blue moons of the world, the macro beers are a little bit sweet. The residual sugar is high. Keeping your beers dry in Belgium is a must, whether it's a triple, even a quad should not be cloying. Right. So, our focus was that, our focus was also on our local uh, environment, which is hot, so having a little bit of acidity, acidity there is nice, a little bit of a bite uh, from, the, from the, the breadiness of the wheat malt, and, and from the hops, and from the orange peel that we use, and yeah, I mean, this is just, this is the, uh, this is a driving force.
0: I can see that. This is, this is great. I have more of an understanding. There's a brewery here called uh, Unibrew, who I think are pretty sort of well-known. Oh, yeah. So they're like 30 minutes from here, and their main beer is also the wit. That sort of uh, seems to be like that specific style speaks to a lot of palates. I've been able to convert my mother-in-law uh, to craft beer initially from their uh, their wheat. Oh, I guess they call it a wit. They do call it a wit. Either way, so I sort of like immediately relate it to that and understand why you know that specific style i think is um i mean probably equally than the blonde here which was fantastic this is a style that's uh, like you said it's not overly sweet but it's probably a little sweeter than a uh than a typical lager or macro or anything else that they would be sure used to um the i really like the i don't the one thing about the belgian stuff that i grew to not particularly enjoy was that sort of like the overdone spices but this is like just at a right amount. I think you're exactly the way you described it was perfect. The it's, the citrus is, is fantastic. Excuse me, um, and the coriander is like just at a nice level where it's sort of giving it a boost and, and sort of sits in there nicely without being uh, over the top. And I think that that I imagine that's probably what you know that nice mix of everything that is speaking to people, particularly those who are. Um, I think this this must be a bit of a gateway for it too. We must be converting people to be with this bad way
1: without a doubt. And that's one of the reasons why it's been so successful for us is that we can go into a bar and we can pour this for someone and they can go, oh, I didn't know craft beer tasted like this. You'd be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't be. I still and I, I still do some tastings every now and then. I used to do a tasting at a local shop three nights a week when the brewery opened up and I was just hustling. right? And I would get people that would go, well, what kind of IPA is this? And I'd go, well, it's not any kind of IPA. It's a Belgian wit beer. Oh, is how is that different from an IPA? Right. They thought IPA meant craft beer, yes, and craft beer meant IPA. There's so many people that just do not even have a, a morsel of information, true information about craft beer. So when you put that in front of them, you get, oh wow, I didn't know beer could taste like this. Oh, I had one of these like a shock top three years ago, and I really liked it oh, well, this is a better version of that, right? And then you also have the people that go, oh, I don't like wheat beers. Wheat beers are no good. They're too heavy and they're too sweet and they all taste like bubble gum and every Belgian beer tastes like bubble gum. Well, no, a very particular yeast strain can taste like bubble gum if you ferment it at a certain temperature, but it doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. And if you're refined and you're working to make a flavor profile, you can do something different. So it, it's been a... It's been a great gateway beer. It's opened up a lot of doors for us that we never would have had if we just if we didn't put this beer out there early and often.
0: Yeah, I, I can see. I, refined. You just said refined. I think that's exactly what this is. I don't, once again, that's what, what I was saying earlier. I'm, I'm looking, I don't drink a lot of these styles um, much these days. So this is cool to drink them with you. And, and sort of as you're talking about, I'm, I'm appreciating it in a way I haven't appreciated a style like this in quite some time. I think you got this is like really solid. I find that, that maybe people are used to maybe that macro that shop up that is all the blue moon. It's just, it's, it's just a lot. Like, it's cool if you don't know anything and it's just this fun, sweet drink that gets you drunk and you don't really care. But when you're looking for something that's, you know, in this sort of really nice packaging that looks like you've, you know, th- there's attention paid, it looks expensive with the little crest and everything. It's a, it's a different experience for people, and they, and like you said, they can actually understand. Oh, shit, Like Belgian beers can be, can be really tasty, and they're not, uh, maybe not what people thought. So that's really cool to hear that it is has been converting people. I like that a lot. So then, did you? And sorry, you opened in two thousand and seven. Sorry, seven years ago. So that would have been twenty
1: Can't do that. We opened, yes. That would be 24. Well, we, we I started working for Bear Monks in 2014, in, in September of 2014, and we opened the doors in 2015. I'm saying we're coming up on our, our seven-year anniversary right. early next year.
0: Yeah. Okay. So then, I would say at that time, they probably would have been a lot more of the, like that was pre-Haze. Haze Hayes did not really drop in. Yes. Battle. Like, it it did drop, I think it was maybe 2015, 2016, but it was definitely, like, a niche market, and then all of a sudden that that exploded and kind of took over. So I imagine Belgians at the time, I can even speak for myself, certainly was was still heavily into it at that point. Um, You know, there there was – you probably wouldn't have been really pushing that hard back then to sort of explain it to people. Because obviously, even if there wasn't a craft beer scene in Florida, like, people had access to this stuff, right? Like, they had access (laughs) to liquor stores and whatever.
1: You'd be surprised, man. I mean, when maybe 2014, 2015, yeah. But in the in 2008, 2009, it was literally you had Dogfish Head, you had Left Hand, you had like uh, Shipyard and Chimay. I mean, those were your craft beers. You didn't have anything else, and it was really, it really evolved. I mean, it evolved quickly. But the education is the hardest part for me, and it's the hardest part for our brands because I also. I also have a second brand uh, odd breed wild ales. It's all barrel aged sours, Uber tiny brewery in Pompano beach that has some of the best ratings you'll ever see on untapped. And we sell beer in like seven different countries because they see the ratings and they want the beer and all that kind of stuff. And in both of our brands education, because you talk about in your neck of the woods, like they love Cantillon and they love Trey Fontaine. Like, down here, they don't. No one knows about that stuff. They're not in the community. Is so small that you can penetrate that market a hundred percent, and it's not going to support your brewery. You're not going to keep the lights on. So you've got to find ways to be an evangelist and bring people into the fold and teach them about things. And it's uh, it's the every day I think about how to do that better. And one of the ways we've done it is through beer and food pairings. It's one of my favorite things to do, being a former sommelier, and. I love bringing out a whipped beer and saying, okay, I'm gonna get you an arugula salad with a strawberry vinaigrette, pickled onions, and goat cheese. It's gonna make the spices in that freaking beer pop. It's gonna add acidity. We're gonna have a great time and you're gonna go, wow, I didn't know beer could pair like that with food. That's a lot of fun. And we do a lot of food and beer pairings like that. And just trying to find interesting ways to just reach out to one person, 10 people, 15 people at a time. Because I can't I can't put a commercial on
0: the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> I
1: can't uh, you know, we're, we're we're just not in that
0: place yet. That's okay. Baby steps, you know. Um so you guys have a restaurant at the at the spot? Like you have a pool, or is it more just like a separate thing, like a what do you call it, like a food truck or something?
1: So we have a unique situation. I have a resident food truck. So they are a different business than ours. They have their money. They make their money, we make ours. but he is he parks his truck there. We give him cold storage and dry storage space, and he provides the same consistent menu every day. He does all of our pairings, all of our specialty food events. I mean, we even do like, you know he'll do four tacos, and we'll pair four different beers with it, and it's twenty two dollars for the flight. and and you can walk in at any time on a Sunday and say, "I'll take the flight, and he'll make it for you." right? And we do events as simple as that. And then we do sit down, you know, five course, $150 a plate dinners, and everything in between. So we do a lot of that. And, you know, a lot of times we're preaching to the choir, people that already know about it, and they want to come back for every one. But every single time we get a new person come in, it's just like a, a light bulb goes off on their head. And they go, wow, I didn't know beer could be like this. That's, that's, that makes it worthwhile. You know, that makes it a lot of fun.
0: That's awesome, man. I think you're so right. There's nothing more than um, nothing more that really converts people, I guess, than pairing the beer with uh, with with food and really sort of showcasing what it can be. I was talking to someone the other day, and they were saying that as well. Like, beer is arguably more um, adaptable to different food. You know, all the different uh, flavor profiles and everything than even wine is. And it's like people just know that they know about wine pairings, but they just don't know about beer pairings. It's just not seen in that what? As much.
1: And it's hard to convince them. It, it, it really is because it, be, wine is a classic beverage. Wine is, uh, you can you go to a, a, a nice restaurant and there's a $700 bottle of wine on the list. There's no $700 bottle of beer on the list, right? Beer is a cheaper beverage. It's for the working man. Yes. And that's why it's great because you can go to your local store and have one of the best imperial stouts made in the world, and it's consistent and it's always there. And you can spend twelve bucks on a four pack or a six pack. How lucky are we? Yeah. That's the best thing. Yeah, and some of these beers, no one cares about anymore because they're on to the next big thing. You know, uh, the next beer that we're going to try. The amount of people that will say to me, "Hey," I went into them. They're in the, in the either in the industry or someone I haven't seen in a while. They go, "Hey, Kevin." it's good to see you. I see you're pouring the triple today. That's one of my favorite beers. I love your triple. And I'll go, when's the last time you had one? Oh, years ago. Because that's what our scene is. We're not going and getting the classics all the time. We're trying the new stuff. Even though we love something, we don't even drink it anymore because there's too much stuff uh, for us to try. And it's, uh, it's disheartening that my brand, of course, I worried about that, but even like classic brands, Unibrew, Everything Unibrew does is amazing, and people just—that's not something that on their radar anymore, because they've had it. And sure. you know, we're, we're always trying to get people to go back and go. Well, if you love it, go get a, get a four-pack soon, and uh, have it with uh, some good food and enjoy it.
0: That's a really good point. Um, do you have any? Is it is it just because of that sort of like FOMO of like every brewery? making, dropping new stuff, sometimes two, three beers a week? Like where what, where does that lack of um, interest in flagships come from?
1: You've got the proliferation of breweries, the volume of their beer, beer they're producing, the fact that we're all trying to grab mind share and get in front of people. And even without wanting to be a ticker, right? Wanting to have as many beers and, and rate them on whatever you just naturally want to try the new thing. You naturally want to, the new restaurant that opens up down the street, you want to go try it out. And if a new restaurant opened up in your neighborhood every three days for the next 20 years, you'd never go back to your favorite restaurant again because you'd want to be trying the new things. I think it's human nature. And I think it's the nature of our business lining up with that. I don't think it's anything malicious. I don't think anyone's doing anything wrong. I just, I love having a conversation. The other day, a guy said to me, you know what I love? You'll probably probably laugh at me for this. Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. And I said, why would I laugh at you? It's one of the best beers made in production across the board, period, end of story. It's perfect. So no, you should love that beer and go get it as many times as you can and support that brewery for still making a great product after all these years. Uh, and I just, I I love having that conversation, whether it moves the needle at all, (laughs) I doubt it, but I love, I love talking about those. I
0: I think that's a great example of that specific beer. I've noticed on beer Twitter that there's a faction of individuals who it's almost they've like, you know, the people who are sort of rebels for the sake of it. Like they like, oh, everyone's into hazy IPAs. Well, I don't drink hazy. I'm tired of them. And they'll go and Mm -hmm. rant about the, the literal polar opposite. And I've seen this sort of swing amongst, once again, a sort of particular group of beer geeks who are raving about um, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale and uh, what's another example? I don't know. You could probably, I'm trying to think of like non-Canadian ones, but like all of those kind of classic beers, even like Stone IPA or Sam Adams Lager, or something like that. That's kind of like a somewhat, I was going to say passe, not really, but just kind of like a, a classic beer that, is easily available, therefore less attractive to the average craft beer nerd, and people have sort of gravitated more towards getting excited about those beers. To uh, sometimes I feel like it's this sort of like uh, virtue signaling, like oh yes, I'm not like the rest of you. I'm so my my tastes are elevated, bro. You see me, I'm drinking this. You're drinking that haze, but I you know. But it, like I don't know when you sort of put it like that, there's definitely some sort of uh, positivity that, that there is some sort of interest regardless of the intentions behind it it's kind of cool
1: well I listen and we could this is not a necessary a beer thing obviously it relates to it but in general the principle of charity on anybody that's conflicting with your ideology is a good thing to have if you assume that the people that are making that statement genuinely believe what they're saying, and it's not just virtue signaling, it's not just trying to go against the grain, assume that there's a little bit of that because we all have, a none of us are one thing, right? But if you assume that and give the fact that they're telling the truth, you'll learn a lot about tastes and what people are into and where the market might go eventually. And, and just in general, it's, it's, a, it's a more pleasant world
0: <laughs> if, we, yeah. if we can do that, yeah. you know? No, that's a, that is a good point. You're right that it might not be completely bad. The individuals I'm thinking of, I know what they're like and I know that that's how they tend to behave because they'll say, sure. this is great and this is a classy beer and then there's always a like, and this is bad type of thing. So you can <laughs> when when there's that immediate comparison or their next post is about how bad something that everybody likes or is into is. And it's them being like, look how edgy I am. It's like hipster, hipster <laughs> where, you know, you, I like the band that you don't know exists type
1: of thing. But. Listen, I've been there. So one, this is a funny story. So uh, Cigar City, Hunapu is their, at least was, like their number one important. It used to be an it beer that you couldn't get your hands on. And then, you know, they make so much of it now that I think that's changed. But uh, we got, all got together, my all my beer geek friends, like, six years ago and everyone's was pulling out vintage bottles of Hunapu. One of my buddies works for Cigar City. He's one of their higher up muckety mucks. So he's got the inside. He's got a bunch of beer and he's proud of his beers and he should be. Cigar City is great. And I refused to eat. I went to the event. I refused to even drink the beers. Right. And I was like, guys, we're just going to sit here and drink 12 of the same exact beer. I don't want to drink this. I don't want to drink 12 of these. So I made my point by drinking something else. Was I being kind of a douchebag? Of course I was. Of course I wanted to be a standout and everyone's talking about me or whatever. Yeah, part of it was that. But part of it was me going, well, guys, after the f- fourth sip of the second vintage of Hunapu, you guys can't taste anything anymore anyway. You have no idea what this is actually tasting like. There's cinnamon and chocolate and all this stuff. And it's massive. It, it's it's thick as motor oil. You Your pouts are blown out and you don't even know what's going on. So, uh, yeah, there's a kernel of truth in all of that. We've all been there, and I try to give people a little bit of license to be a douchebag.
0: You know <laughs> Beer comes with the territory. That's a good point, though. Like, sometimes I see people do the verticals with the big, uh, the big beers. I'm like, ah oh, man, I don't know. I've done some before, and it's cool, but it can get pretty dangerous, particularly when you know. From sounds like there, even with six people, like and you've got a whole bunch of those bottles. There's only so much of that you can stomach. <laughs> It's uh, it becomes you need like a break or something to, to sort of oh like for like sure switch it up yeah that uh, that's kind of crazy. Do you guys have any beers like that that uh, from your side that are sort of you know the the most sought oh yeah well, probably that's a better question. What's the most sought after beer that you guys do?
1: We certainly don't have anything in that realm. I, I don't have any beers that people are lining up, you know, uh, around the block two days in advance to get. We do have beers that we are extremely proud of. Uh, our imperial stout, Pray to Souls, is, I believe, one of the best imperial stouts out there. It's complex. It's ageable. Uh, we do a Grand Cru every year. That is never the same beer twice. It's always a different style. Always at least ten uh, percent. No adjuncts. It's only water, yeast, malt, and hops. And for instance, last year it was a Belgian dark strong ale. This year is gonna be a, a golden strong. And that's a it's not sought after in any way, but it's a beer that every time we do it, I'm proud of it because I love the layers and the flavors of it. And we have a a base of people that really get behind something like that. So and then, you know, honestly, our Father Christmas, which is in the Belgian brewing community, the Christmas beer is a big deal. Every belgian brewery does one and we do a christmas spiced belgian dark strong ale called father christmas it'll be out uh in mid-november for retail and we'll do a big party around it in december and that's a beer that does always sell out and we do usually a barrel aged version of it and things of that nature and that's that's a big deal for us
0: that's awesome I, I know what you mean. Yeah. But like I wasn't sort of expecting a lineup type of beer, but I imagine there would be some that would, yeah, all of those ones sound like the type of beer, usually the big barrel-aged ones that are expensive and uh, an event type of, type of beer. I, I respect that. By the way, this wit, I think this is probably the best wit I've ever had. Like this. this
1: well, that's incredibly kind. It's
0: so... <laughs> it's so it's, it's re—it's so smooth, whilst it's got the the the, uh, the sharp carb that obviously comes with the Belgian beers, but it's still incredibly like even just look at that head, like it's just that that real like fluffy, silky head. It's gorgeous. Like the the spices are not, um, they're just like I was saying before, they're just sitting so nice. Not- well, well, now arm am halfway through, it's warmed up a bit. I just wanted to comment. This is fantastic. I'm I'm genuinely surprised how much I like it because I didn't expect to, because it's been so long really between having them. Like. This is great, man. It really shows that uh, if this, you know, like you said, if one thing to do it well, um, this is what happens. This is awesome. I love it. I love it.
1: Well, I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, if you, if you walk into a craft beer bar, any craft beer bar, and you give a brewer, someone from that brewery props on one of their more quaffable lighter beers, uh, most brewers will do backflips because it's the lighter beers where you can't hide anything. And Listen. If you drink my cherry chocolate quad and you really like it, thank you. I that I I want people to like it, but I really want people to like my single. I really want people to like the lightest, simplest beer that I make because that's where your skill really shines. That's where you really show your stuff. So uh, my my sister brewery, Oddbreed Wild Ales, they just won uh, a JABF gold medal for one of their one of their sours, and it was not fruited. It okay. was just a barrel-aged wild ale, and it wasn't particularly high in alcohol, and it's a simple, great beer. And I know my partner Matt Manthe over there is more proud of getting a gold medal for that than he would have been for one of his overly – because he does a, a, the saturation series, which is his, it's as much fruit as you can legally put inside of a beer. Okay. He appreciates winning more for that simple, well-made – well-structured, nuanced, sour, than for the over-the-top stuff.
0: I completely understand. Like, like you said, it's a whole other thing. I'm just looking. I found them on uh, untap now. I see what you mean. It's all, everything. The average is... Uh, there's nothing under four here. That's pretty insane. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, this is the... Oh, there's only one, but 3.95. Um, <laughs> oof, you know, got to step up the game on that one. You 3.96, know. I- I'll have to send
1: you a couple of bottles, and you and you'll rate them over four, and then we'll get back up over oh, top. What do you think? Don't worry, I,
0: got you. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say we could do a separate podcast on, on this whenever you want as well. This is fascinating. Oh, oh yeah, shit, I'd love to.
1: Man, that's crazy.
0: There's so many beers. This is way more than I thought. If this is all you're doing, I'm just keep flicking. It just keeps going.
1: Oh, that the 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 business model of Oddbreed is insane. Yeah. We don't have any cores. We only we basically every beer is a one off and small batch. And the brewer is a genius. hes I always say he's the best brewer in the state of Florida. He's one of the best sour brewers in the world. And, you know, it shows in the product. That's
0: awesome, man. I love it. i love that. I know we don't want to really focus on them too much for, for this one. Um, it's okay. Why, why did you sort of take a bit of a – start a separate brand to do something different that just not fit under Barrel of lux?
1: So we didn't start the brand. Uh, so Matt and a partner opened up this brewery, and we they didn't have they don't have a brew house. They brew at other breweries, bring wort and then age them on their mixed culture in their barrels. And we were one of the breweries that they used for their brew house from day one. And the head brewer owner Matt Manthe, was kind of my mentor when we opened Funky Buddha Brewing from the lounge, the hookah bar to the big production facility. I'd never brewed on a full-scale, 30-barrel brew house. We brought Matt in as a consultant to teach me. So Matt was a friend, a mentor, an amazing brewer. And when the opportunity came up that his partner wanted to get out of the business, we said, well, you're already brewing your ward here. We love your beer. You're a personal friend. And this just fits. So we bought into the brewery and that happened a couple of years ago. So, uh, we, de- we decided to buy into a brewery that was even more niche and hard to sell than our own, which is always a good thing to do. I highly recommend doing that.
0: Uh, hey, at least the price point's high, right? So when you do sell. Oh,
1: it certainly is.
0: Not about volume as much. No, that's sick. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's true that right? you've got two breweries with, mostly high price points but then i guess you've probably got a lot of um you know i'm looking at the 12 ounce bottles here so you've got a bunch of things like that with barrel amongst like what's the kind of um the breakdown of the, the I, obviously it, it moves and it changes probably week to week but typically speaking like how many sort of smaller crushable beers and then more the, the serious bottles and the, the crazy stuff that you have
1: I mean, we really only have a couple. Uh, single and Havana and Wizard Wit are really the only two mass marketed in grocery stores kind of beers that we do. Now, I have my 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 Belgian single that only is in my tap room, that I do in small package. But I mean, that's small potatoes. I don't sell a lot of it because it's only in my tap room. So it's really the that's what I was saying. The front face of our business. If you walk in to South Florida to a craft beer bar and talk to someone, oh, Barrel of the ones that make Havana and Wizard. And you walk into our tap room they go oh barrel Monks." those are the guys that do those barrel aged imperial stouts quads triples those are the guys that do you know these more esoteric kind of beers so it's uh and and, you know you even find that with funky buddha you even find that with cigar city these are grocery store brands that everybody knows but not necessarily everybody knows the depth of what they do
0: (laughs) Mm, that's a fair point so is that a is that a common thing in the I mean I guess it's kind of everywhere but, the, just the way you were describing it I could think of the general cigar city brands that would be in the supermarket and then you go you know there to the brewery to get the crazy shit for for you guys you got these two bad boys and, and come to the brewery is that a is that a typical model is that typical of the South Florida breweries or, or Florida period or anything or it just happened to be the ones that uh, the 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 path that you chose for Barrel.
1: I think that everybody that got into the business at the time that we did had dreams of being in every grocery store, every Walmart, every gas station. And everyone started with 20, 30-barrel brew houses and and in good-sized systems. And I think the next wave... And by necessity, you have to kind of have some of that mentality. You have to have mass-marketed, high-volume beers, and then you have to have a tap room that's going to bring people back over and over again and give them the more esoteric, interesting I – mean, not, not necessarily more interesting, but you know, different stuff. The what have you done for me lately crowd? You've got to bring them in. You're not going to bring them in with just Wizard or Havana. They've had it. So now you've got the really it kind of breweries down here like uh, Three Sons, I don't know if you're familiar with them, uh, that they are, they have a big facility and they're doing a lot of production. They're making a lot of beer. They're very successful. But their model seems very much, they don't seem to care about distribution in grocery stores. Right. They don't even necessarily see this. I mean, I'm sure their draft is everywhere. I just don't see it. But I don't even see their draft handles very often. They're driving everyone to the tap room by doing new, interesting, crazy stuff every week or two and they're the ones with the lions outside there's a brewery called tripping animals down here invasive species there's a handful of these guys that if you get a can if you get a hand on one of your their cans you can trade it for a hell of a lot and they're doing great stuff and they're doing the smoothie sours and they're doing crazy hazies and they're doing candy bar stouts and they seem to have a completely different model than we do so uh we've always wanted i've always wanted to have my beer available all over the place my dad lives in michigan i want to distribute up there and i want him to go grab a six pack of wizard so that's our ultimate goal as long as we don't lose sight of doing fun interesting stuff that can bring people in the tap room and that's why we do this this canning series and all this other stuff
0: right That, that makes a lot of sense actually it's uh yeah there's there's certain types of people can you know you got the hype way or you got the other way to to do the grocery store brands i've even seen a lot of the, the hype breweries or potentially let's say formerly hype breweries but maybe some of the ones that have become a bit older and that maybe the lines are more relaxed and they start to do distribution i've noticed a bit more lately so i guess it's sort of like they'll eventually go that way because that's how they're going to get you know like exactly like you said there's the Government Canada has a very uh lot of hands in, in, in the alcohol industry, mm-hmm. There's a lot of government distribution and regulation and stuff uh between Ontario and Quebec. So, um, I imagine that that's the point you know, they'll, they'll get to the point where they feel like, all right, we want to grow even more, and then that's just the obvious next step for anybody to, to go into the grocery and uh specialty stores and all that type of stuff. So, that's great. Like However, that. you wonder why, yeah, well- you, you want to do, a triple.
1: Yeah. That was one that I know you were really interested in trying. So let's do yes.
0: it. I'm, uh, I'm excited. You mind grabbing the triple out of the fridge. Thank you so much. So tell us about this triple, man. This is a, um, this is what I was saying earlier. This is something I haven't had for a, a fair while, but I'm curious. And uh, maybe we should even, I was actually thinking this earlier. Maybe we should actually explain. I mean, you explain what the, what the white was with, um, Explain maybe what a triple is in context with a double and, and the single and such.
1: So the single, double, triple, quadruple, or the Trappist beers, the beers that were traditionally made by the, the monks in Belgium and the Trappist monk order in Belgium. And uh, they are basically a roadmap to higher ABV beers. But even within that, the style changes from a light beer to a dark beer to a light beer to a dark beer uh, with your single, double, triple, and your quad. Uh, the single should be light, clean, and quaffable. The double should be a brown ale somewhere in the neighborhood of 6 or 7%. That is a little more malty, chewy. Uh, the triple should be around eight to nine percent, and uh, it's the hoppiest of the Trappist beers, but not necessarily bitter or hoppy. The traditional hoppy in Belgium is very different than the hoppy and we get in the states or in the the New World. So, uh, but the triple should be really malty, full flavored, uh, a lot of times phenolic and spicy, and then the quad dark, strong, fruity, uh, and really massive. Uh, The triple is really the refined classic of the Trappist styles. I think it's one of the most versatile beers for pairing. Uh, You can pair a triple with uh, Thai food, love Thai food with a, with a triple, all that phenolic spice just enhances the, the natural, like hot spices of Thai food. Uh, There's just so many things you can do. Roast pork, cream sauces work extremely well with a beer like this. So uh, if you are going to be a Belgian brewery, hang your hat and say, I'm a Belgian brewery and I specialize in this, and you don't have a good triple, go home. I like that. That's, that's it. So I told you a little bit earlier that I traced a brown bag of a home-brewed triple on my partner Bill McPhee's back patio and said, wow, if this is almost as good or as good as St. Bernard's triple, we got something. So this beer was was def, was defined refined before I was even around, yep. and it's my job just to scale it up. Okay. Um, it is bottle it is bottle conditioned. Okay. Uh, that's a third three thirty ml bottle, the Rochefort bottle. Sometimes it's called. So you've got the fact that this beer can age three to five years. You get the nice fluffy white head. Yeah. Tons of phenolic spice. A little bit of fruitiness, peach, pear, uh, multi chewiness uh, on the palate. Uh, I mean, one of the one of the most complex, interesting beers to sip and let open up, let it warm a little bit, right. see how it changes in the glass. And one of the best beers to try is it being aged. A two year old, three year old triple tastes completely different than uh than a one-year-old one year old one.
0: Dude, this is crazy. Once again, like I said, it is. I've almost like haven't had a triple in so long. Kind of like the example that you said, with people earlier. and I've I've almost forgotten what the, the profile is here. Now this is nine percent, by the way. Like this is a uh, yeah. This is this is no nothing small. Definitely did not get a hint of the booze, which obviously is a hallmark of a well made beer. I'm getting a lot of that sharp carb. I Mentioned peach and pear. I think that will come out a little more because it's fresh from the fridge. This one here. Um, the, the fennels weren't too crazy. I feel like the spot. this is one, the one thing, like I was saying, the one thing that I found that ended up bothering me and potentially, like you said, the bubblegum thing that people point out, that was probably one of the main things for me. And I always found that, like, you know, here in Quebec, they do a lot of this saison, straight up farmhouse ales. And I used to hate it, dude. Like, it was just everywhere. and I couldn't escape it. I'm like, why is everyone doing fucking saison? I'm so bored of them and they just taste terrible but i found i started to learn after discovering hill farmstead in um in hillsborough uh on, greensboro sorry um they the way that they did it was the first time i tried a farmhouse ale that wasn't completely a bubble gum fest or, or any of these other sort of fennels and these other sort of esters and flavors that are just like banana and like all of the stuff that i just felt was overkill and sticky and cloying as you were describing earlier and I'm like, okay, now I feel like I started to grow an appreciation for farmhouse sales. Now, I know that's not exactly the same thing, but it's still a, a derivative or a Belgian style there. And then I found now that I, I sort of haven't touched a triple in a while, and I'm getting the same vibes from this. That there's a, like you said, if you couldn't tell the difference between this and the St. Bernardus, that's a, and that was before it was scaled.
1: Yeah. And, and it wasn't even necessarily like the flavor profile was exact, but just the quality. There's a, there's a quality of what a homebrew beer is. My home brews were no different. And there's a quality of someone who's refined something and trying to do something special. So uh, the reason why so many Belgian beers taste exactly the same. I worked at two breweries beforehand that did Belgian beers. And one example of when we did a Belgian beer, we'd bring in the Chimay yeast strain which a lot of, for those you don't know, commercial yeast strains, we buy them all the time, they tend to be either derived directly or indirectly from classic Belgian breweries like La Chouffe, um, uh, uh, Deidola, uh, Chimay. These are all strains that are kind of out there. And some of them, they don't say they are that strain, but it's implied, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Every American brewery, not everyone, but a lot of them, they get the Chimay yeast strain in because it's a... It's a it's a workhorse, and they know it, and they know what, they like Chimay, and it's one of the most popular Belgian beers in the States. They bring in the strain, they use it for a wit, a double, a triple, a quad, and then they throw it down the drain. You shouldn't right. be using the same yeast for your quad and for your triple. Those are two different beer flavor profiles. They also ferment at the same temperature, <laughs> right. so th- it expresses the same flavor profile. So, when your when you're wit, your double, your triple, and your quad all taste like bubble gum, it's because you've got a yeast that, that shouldn't have been used for all three of those beers. And then you ferment at the exact same temperature and you go, well, wonder why all my t- beers taste the same. So, you know, our, our, our quad is not fermented with our triple yeast strain. Our fermentation temperature on our wit and our triple, that is the same strain. We actually use the same strain for our wit and our triple, which is not common in Belgium, but we ferment at different temperatures to express different flavor profiles, to get different attenuations. And that's, we're learning, it's like being a chef in an Italian kitchen and someone says, well, we don't put Parmesan cheese on seafood. Well, it's because we're trying to get certain flavors out of this. We're not gonna put four extra extra ingredients in our carbonara. We're just trying to do it with these flavors to get uh, a continuity of flavor for this one dish. That's what we're trying to do with a great triple. That's what we're trying to do with a great quad or a wit.
0: Interesting. Well, yeah, I was about to ask. Are you using the same yeast? So no, that is that explains a lot. And I was, I'm getting even once again. I've just cracked this and only had a handful of sips, but I've, I'm already getting a similarity to the wit in that the body, the body is is very similar with that creamy yet sharp, which is is kind of almost tripping me out that you've got a beer that that's creamy. That, that is that creamy but it is also making me uh, you know do the sharp calm vibes, which is it's, it's kind of crazy and as well like the flavor profile is it's, it's intense um, even just taking a couple of sips the other beers are super light so you don't even feel like you had a couple of beers a few sips of this I'm like oh okay all right we're drinking now we' drink <laughs> <Yeah. And>, um, <laughs> well
1: what well you meant well you mentioned earlier about the ABV and that is is the sign of a beer well made that's the second thing. Two Ways a fighter or a brewer. I like your lightest, simplest beer, and you hit the, the ABV well. That's that's out. the
0: nicest thing you can say, man.
1: Yeah, so hey, you're ticking all the boxes here. That's what I'm
0: talking. <laughs> Unintentionally, no, it was like dead ass. So uh, like I said, I was really looking forward to this. I was glad we when we connected because this is something that I just feel like the because I was thinking about it like this, right? Like, there's people like. You who've been in, in, into beer, I imagine you sounds like you've been into it a bit longer than me. I've been about like like seriously, actually really paying attention for 10 and a half years, something like that. You sound like you've been there a bit longer than me. But there's a lot of people who will be watching and listening who are getting into beer now. And they might come in to, to something like this. And maybe because that's what all the kids are drinking, maybe there's a lot of episodes here and we're talking about haze and smoothies and blah, 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 and all that stuff. So there's some people who never really... You know how like everyone gets into beer and you start with the macro lagers and you discover ambers and you're like, go to an English pub, and you go porters and stouts and you can see where I'm Then you discover Belgium. You're exactly. Like, oh, shit, this is crazy. And then you work into, then you discover the trends. They just went straight to the trends. They don't know. They were macro trend. So they don't know. They didn't go through the flavor wheel. They don't know what an amber ale is or they don't know what a Belgian triple is where you know we got to experience that. I'm kind of grateful that I feel like we we're in the, one of the last bunch of beer nerds who went through that process because if you got into it now, you just probably wouldn't, I imagine. You just wouldn't even, It wouldn't be a part of it. So I think this is extra important for me personally to make sure that people hear about this stuff because it is something that I think shapes the, shapes your palate and your appreciation for flavors and for, excuse me, see that sharp cover I love it. the quality <laughs> of, of, you know, of what beers can be. Otherwise you sort of have maybe a, uh, just in the way that the industry is constructed, like maybe a bit more of a what's the word? A, a muted perspective of what beer could be, like you know only seeing this much when really it's this much. Of thing, you
1: know? the, the rabbit hole goes as deep as you want it to go, and it's one of the greatest thing about our industry is that you can you can travel throughout the entire world. You can travel through your, your own state. Right, or your own province. You can travel all around and not even get a chance to try everything in your immediate driving vicinity because one beer is going to be released this weekend and never released again, and you're not going to get a chance to have it. And it's exciting for a completionist like myself. It's infuriating because I do want to try everything and and learn everything about it. But it's one of the, the most fun things about our industry, one of the most fun things about beer, why it's so special why it's so unique. You don't really have that with, it, with with spirits and you don't really have that with wine as much. I mean, there's tons and tons of wines out there, but you do not have a winery releasing 100 new wines every year. I, I don't think. And if there is, I, I, I will be happy to be corrected. Uh, but... And when you're talking about the education and learning things, you know, you mentioned earlier on when I when I said that I don't understand the the smoothie sours, and you're like, that's my thing. I love that. Let's talk about it. I want to be educated on it, right? I want someone to come and sit down and say, this is what makes this a better version of this than that, because there's got to be bad smoothie sours out there, right? Oh, yeah. There's gotta be bad hazy IPAs out there. I can teach somebody what a bad triple is, or I hate using the word bad someone loves that beer, what a uh, a, a, not, a not as complex triple is or a simpler triple is and why this one might be better. I want to be educated on that. I want to learn the differences to it because I knew when I was getting into whiskey or when I was getting into wine, I didn't know it was good. I just drank the first thing I had and that's what people... Were, I was like, oh, this is the best version of this because it's the first one I had. And I always worry... When people get into craft beer, if they're trying a beer that's not as complex or not as interesting, when when I first got into this industry and I first started learning about it, one person that was kind of helping us out in the early days, he said, we said, how can we repay you? And he said, please make good beer. Because if you make crappy beer, someone's going to try it and think that all craft beer sucks. And if you make good beer, then they'll try my beer because they're going to want to try new things. So I think, I think that education and, and, and seeking out all those different styles is of the most importance.
0: Well said. I think that's a fantastic request because that's really what it is. And I, I've come back again to something that you said earlier where people are like, what kind of IPA is this? And I feel like that's the, the, the joke. That's the pop culture joke about craft beers, the white dude with a beard wearing a final shirt, uh, you know, <laughs> talking about their IPAs and stuff, which is such a, an old trope. In my opinion because it's gone so much this you know they didn't even know about the hazer boys wait till the mainstream discovers the people who line up for beers wearing their new balance and spending 45 dollars a four pack and trading them and yelling at each other online it's a whole other crazy world <laughs> so like it's i think that's important because yeah that's what we want right in order for it to grow we want more people to come into craft beer of every cultural background as well which is really important that you know in order for it to grow because there are flavors for everybody And if people are making, I mean, I I guess we have to admit there's definitely some breweries who maybe don't have the best of intentions and they don't really care about the product and they're just trying to make some cash, which probably, as you alluded to earlier, isn't the right industry for that. And, uh, you know, when people do come across that, it it might turn them off. And I feel like it's pretty easy to be turned off something these days when there is such a, a breadth of options. Opportunities to try different things. There's a million different wines. Now there's even some genres. There's the seltzers and and I guess you know side smooth the
1: smoothies smoothie smoothies seltzers. seltzers. <laughs> I actually
0: haven't had <laughs> one yet, but I'm fascinated to what the hell they're doing. There. And until, to be fair, uh, I actually uh, agree uh, with you. It isn't. I would probably argue that it is not beer. It's a <laughs> like a, a mixed drink. I've had some brewers who do the best ones. And I go, oh yeah, I, I don't think it's beer, bro. People just love it. them. And it's cool. And then there's some other people who get like,
1: no, it's big. So, you, you know, I still go back to the fact that, and just a quick story, you know, yeah. my, uh, when I was in the wine business, my, uh, my dad came down to visit me for the first time in years uh, from Michigan. And my father does not love great wine. It was, he was a, a gallow jug, you know, of <laughs> wine kind of guy. And, I I was in this industry and I was, you know, making a little bit of money at the time and I thought I was I thought I made a lot more money than I did. Let's put it that way. So I spent a lot of money on wine I shouldn't have and food. So I take my dad out to the super fancy meal and my dad is I mean, he would not think this is as a, a simple person. My dad doesn't want to go to super fancy restaurants. He doesn't want to drink super fancy drinks. My dad's a simple guy. And I'm trying to impress him by taking him to this restaurant that mostly he's probably going, why are we here? Right? And I order a bottle of wine that's a probably $200. And the first thing he does is take a big can full of ice from his water glass and drop it in the wine. And my girlfriend at the time grabs my legs and says through her teeth, don't say anything. That's your dad. And I looked at her and I said, that's my fucking dad. He can do whatever he wants. If he wants to put a splash of Sprite and grenadine in that, then that's the way he wants to drink that, then go for it. And I want to treat everybody like I treat my dad. I want to treat everybody like I treat someone that I care about and I respect and, and and say, well, if that's what you like, well, explain to me why that's good. Explain to me why you enjoy it. I want to take a sip of it. Man, that does taste good, right? right? Uh, and uh, if you give that, that that sense of charity to people of, of the styles that you don't understand because you're in the industry for 15 years and you're basically becoming an old man before your own very eyes, uh, then you, maybe you, you get lucky and you learn something. Mm.
0: That's a really good point. Yeah, I feel like, and, and you sort of also—I mean—that's a great story. I feel like you also said earlier about um, that everyone sort of has, you know, when you first try something, and that's the first thing you try. And you think that's good because, as you were saying that, I'm like, wow, you're so right. The first time—I remember the first time I had an amber ale. That was my first favorite style because it was mm-hmm. a little more flavorful than the macro lager that I've been used to. Sometimes European like, so not all trash, but Oh, no, not at all. You know, sometimes they are, sometimes not most. You know, the European ones are obviously fantastic, but they got pretty passe pretty quick. And then I got to to discover the amber. And maybe, and I remember in Toronto, and I lived there, I was doing everything. All I wanted was to get the Dossikis amber because you couldn't get it anywhere. Then when I had it, I'm like, oh, this is pretty shit. Even then, I knew. Like, I knew nothing. But, like, it was, it was you know, sometimes the first things you have are all you know, and you've only got that context. So it's sort of, uh, it, it depends on the adventurousness, I guess, of the individual. And maybe if they have a couple good experiences. I remember, I don't know if this, this is just in context of Belgian stuff. I was working at the Apple store in Toronto in 2011, and I had a mate there, and I was doing the beer. And because of that thing I was explaining with the selfies, I became the beer guy pretty quick because you had to drink. 365 beers within 12 months and i did it in like seven months i didn't even think there was 300 beers in the world so i just kept going with them at 6,600 or something like that just by continuing to go and i am a completionist like you i didn't know that was a word but that is what i am i'm crazy i wouldn't play with my ninja turtle set unless i had every single thing when i was a kid i wouldn't even touch it like so very much aligned. and my friend was like oh have you heard of um I still don't even know how to say it. West Vlateran or is it West Vledrin? West, West Vledrin. West Vledrin. And he was like, have you heard of this? And I was like, what are you talking about? No, he said, it's the best beer in the world. And I looked it up. I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, yo, this cafe here has it. It's 40 bucks for a bottle, same size. 40 bucks. For-. And this, once again, I've been in the beer six months, seven months. And I was like, okay. So we went and a bunch of friends and we all got like three bottles between like six of it. It split it between two of us. And we knew we were bowling out. We were working retail like, $15 an hour. I mean, that Spending 20 bucks on half a bottle of beer was not intelligent. <laughs> and I remember just being blown away and having that, but, but I guess my point is being open enough to try it. And then those flavor profiles, I just, I never experienced anything like that in my life. And I'd had the beer many times since and it was never like that first time or those first couple times because we went back there. And that was when people had to put it in their, their luggage to bring it over. It wasn't being distributed. It was these unmarked bottles, super sort of, you know, random. And it was just that being open when someone told me about it. And, you know, I've always been, I hope a lot of people are like, you know what, none of us know jack shit about anything ever. So it was more just like he presented that opportunity. A bunch of us were down to spend an absurd amount on beer. I remember even that night trying the six and the eight beforehand to like you know, ramp up to it for it to be this big grand finale. And it, it, nothing was a bigger payoff for that moment. I, I still think of that from time to time because it was such an experience and I really hope that people aren't holding back from that opportunity to, to try something like that and to have that experience in craft beer. And it sounds like you guys are definitely doing something similar where you're really trying to bring these flavors and even just from these three beers, I can already tell, like, I get, like it, it would blow people's minds on what Belgian beers can taste like or Belgian inspired beers can, can really do. I just think
1: that's amazing. Man. Experience is the perfect word for that because that's what you always want. When I worked at the sommelier, it was bringing out the bottle and decanting it and putting on a show and making it say, This is special. This is important. You're going to love this. And to some degree, you're influencing how much they're going to enjoy it. Your anticipation of drinking that West Vledgerin, a lot of that was this is the best beer in the world. Oh, my God, I'm going to love this. I can't wait to try it. I'm going to open this and I'm going to lose my mind. And is that beer great? Unequivocally, yes, right? But is it a little bit better because the anticipation – every vacation, everything you do is better because of in, uh, anticipation. So we're always trying to create that experience, that experience with beer and food, that experience with having a bottle and aging it for three years and sharing it with a friend and saying, hey, did you know beer could age for three years? Oh, I, I got a bottle, of barrel of monks that I picked up a, a couple years ago. Try it here. And, and also you can come to our tap room and you can try, vintage, I have a vintage bottle list and I, and I have three-year-old bottles of triple, and you can try one next to the, the current draft and see the difference. It's an experience. We get into this, and we get lost in the fact that we have to try every single beer out there, and we have our favorites, and we have the, the trading culture. And I think that's, every, that's all great. I love every second of it. it, it it's about love of beer but just calm down every now and then and just grab a beer that you love and experience it. Drink it like it's it's your first time doing so. Make a nice dish that you think will pair well with it and share it with a friend who's never thought that beer could be like that. I mean, what's better than that?
0: Man, preach. I've been trying to do that more with, you know, I imagine just like uh, you would have the same thing. Beer nerds tend to unintentionally rack up a cellar, you know, start... You know, trying to do a cellar, you just probably overpurchase stuff. And then all of a sudden you've got a closet full and you've got a room full and so on and so forth. And I've been trying to kind of proactively tap into that a little bit more and not just let things sit like at least one night a week. I'm like, you know what? Forget these other things, the cans and all the things that kind of bank up. Tonight I'm just going to have one beer that's from the cellar and I'm going to experience it and really think about it a little bit more. And I try and think about it because the little stupid reviews force me to actually think about every sip and what the flavors are but that's cool but it's different with the the salad beer and you are right whether it's something like that or even just go back to a, to an old classic that uh you know that's probably one thing that maybe beer people would do well to do Like people who are into it maybe get a little bit caught up in the new what's next and the, the ticker culture and all that stuff to just you know crack an old fave I had to, you mentioned Sierra Nevada. I got one recently. I thought they don't have it here in Quebec, but when we go to Ontario, they have the LCBO, the uh, Liquor Control Board of Ontario, which is the government stores. Funnily enough, the biggest purchaser of alcohol in the world. And they often have Sierra Nevada. I think I remember seeing it. I was like, yeah, let me grab this again. And I was blown away. I could not believe how exactly what you said. I was like, wow, this is crazy. I was like, why did I do this more often? And I, I think that maybe. Maybe, yeah, it's something that people need to talk about a little bit more in the beer world.
1: All we can do is, 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 uh, is mention it and try to influence people around there. And it's, it's, all, it's all in a love of craft beer. You know, it's all, it's all in trying to, to preach the gospel and get people to enjoy it a little bit more than they already do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and not forget about those classes because there is like, you know, the fact that you said you got the flagships. I feel like a lot of breweries have flagships and Oh, I don't know if they have that in in the states, but I I don't know if it's even just an Ontario thing. But I've seen here they have flagship February. Be familiar with that?
1: I'm I'm not familiar with that. now.
0: Okay, so maybe it was just a thing that they do. It could just be a Twitter thing because there's beer Twitter, at least in the Ontario beer world, which I'm more sort of in tune with than the Quebec one, because it's mostly French they have this flagship February. Thing. And the whole thing is in breweries would send out to PR packs, to you know people like us with podcasts or, or YouTubers or Instagrammers, their flagships, Not nothing new, just their flagships. And the intention is all February to focus on those flagship beers. And that's only happened the last maybe two years. And I just think that's a really cool concept. And, and coming back to kind of this conversation in and of itself, like, Maybe you don't drink this very often when you do. You're like, oh my God, that is a fucking fantastic beer. But <laughs> like you said, there's so much else going on to distract you. So many shiny new objects that you, you the average person doesn't even think about that. They're in the supermarket and they might not even look at it because they're too busy looking at Instagram thinking when the new drop is from all these other breweries. So this flagship is the idea is to just bring people's attention. Hey, man, we've had this. These are well-made we have done this recipe for 15 years or whatever it might be. It's dialed in. It's essentially as perfect as it's going to be, you know, let's appreciate it. So like, uh, I think that concept's cool, right?
1: Yeah, I'd love to support something like that. I mean, we, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, as you're saying this, I'm coming up with ideas in my head too. Is like, oh, what can we do on Instagram and social media uh, to, to promote this kind of thing? And even promote things that aren't ours because at the end of the day, we want we want people to be thinking about craft beer in a different way. And we know that eventually the people that are in our area and have access to our stuff, it will filter down to them. Is that our stuff is is quality and it's it's something you can get your hands on and you can appreciate. And uh it's one of the great things about craft beer industry as well, is that we do tend to talk about other breweries that we love. We tend to, to shy away from that. And things get a little more backbitey when. The, when our local areas start to get saturated, but we still love our, our fellow brewers. We still talk about our other breweries and national breweries and say, "Man, you can't get better than that." Yeah. that's uh, an that's a, a interesting part of our industry that I really appreciate.
0: I definitely agree with that. That was one of the things that weeded me out in a good way when I first got into beer it was like, why, why is everyone working so like closely with competitors? Why are they comfortable? You know, supporting competitors like that. No other industry would do that. Like, you know, you could call up a, a brewery down the street, and be like, "Hey, man, I'm out of this grain. Do you have it?" Yeah, sweet. I'll bring some up. Whatever. You know, that type of camaraderie doesn't really exist in uh, in any other industry, from what I've seen.
1: That's true.
0: It's kind of uh, it's kind of crazy, and it's uh, but that's what makes it unique. I think that it, maybe maybe because of the size, because beer is craft beer, is so small still, and and you know the it's, it's the one um we'll just call it like a, a strange like if you have a bunch of breweries in one area it's actually not a bad thing as opposed to if you had a bunch of vintage clothing no that's not a good example whatever the same type because <laughs> well, then i'll be like oh, probably go hopping there too that could actually work out well but like if you had a bunch of the same type of businesses in this close sort of knit area it's typically not the greatest thing in the world but brewery uh cruises and people doing brewery hopping and stuff is a common thing and it it makes it makes the area more appealing if you've got multiple breweries around as opposed to if you're this one brewery kind of in the middle of nothing else nearby it's it's a destination and maybe people would just sit there but if there are three four other breweries within five minute drive ten minute drive then people would actually you know they'd make that an afternoon or an evening or whatever that's It's a, a
1: weird thing. It's an interesting psychological thing, and you even see that with like chain restaurants and plazas. You see three chain restaurants go up in, in, in large shopping malls because they know that you're not going to eat at the same place six nights a week or seven nights a week. Breweries know that you're not going to come here every, every single day. I don't need you to come to my brewery every single day. If you come by once a week and you're a regular customer and you're spending money and supporting my brand, I'm a really, really happy guy. And I think that's the same philosophy for those brewery hoppers, that they can go around and hit multiple places and find their favorites. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I never saw, obviously, when I was in the wine business and working in restaurants, I never saw myself getting into the beer industry. I didn't even know that was an industry. I didn't know that was a possibility that you could do. And turns out it's the best decision I ever made in my life. And I can't picture doing anything better. And for a lot of reasons, many of the things that we mentioned today.
0: Yeah, man, it's a, I couldn't agree more. And I know I'm sort of on the, on the, like the periphery, the perimeter, sorry, of, of craft beer and stuff, but it's, it's been, it's so obvious. Oh, it doesn't matter where we go in the world or where I speak to anybody. The types of people that are involved in beer are very consistent. They, they, everyone is just the coolest. Like there's hardly any negative we could say about the people in the industry. Everyone who's in beer loves it. If they don't love it, they're not going to be in it. And I think that level of passion doesn't necessarily exist in, in, in not every industry. And I think that's part of what makes it kind of special. And it's you know it's very capital heavy. Uh, even if you're a contractor, it's still capital heavy. So it's people who are putting everything on the line. This is not people mm-hmm. messing around. This is not a joke here. This is people putting, you know, often millions of dollars up, you know, more, you know, tapping friends and family banks and investors and everything to get these things going and to that sort of breeds a, a fearless cool human from what i've seen that you know and they just want to share it like, like you, everything you've said like you're you're just like you know in the best possible way every like every great brewery owner i've met and, and had the you know, opportunity to hang out with and, and chat it's dope i love it and it's such a it's such a unique industry now we, i really hope that it continues to grow because I feel like when people get into it, that's why the community, I don't know if you've really experienced it much, say on Instagram or anything like that, but the community, like they love each other. People find, you know, I know people, I saw someone there's two people, a girl I followed from like Connecticut and this dude, I guess he's in the same. I followed them both separately. Didn't even know whether they were together. And he like proposed to her the other day. I was like, yo, they met through beer. He worked for a brewery and she's an Instagrammer and doing her thing. And I was like, that's cool. That like people are meeting through this and they're finding life partners and, you know, maybe people might start as an Instagrammer and end up as a brewery owner or some, I know people who have done being Instagrammers and then ended up working for breweries. And it's this whole cool scene of just uh, interesting people with a passion for something that, I don't know, you just don't see it that often. It's, it's, It's really cool. I'm really glad I stumbled upon it, to be honest
1: most people most people in this industry have a story and you and your in your last podcast or maybe it wasn't the last one you were talking about your nonprofit and getting people to uh to come in and 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 get experience in the brewery for the first time and see if they like it see if it's that kind of thing that they want to do and everyone i know that's how they started they liked beer and they got a job or a a part-time gig as a bartender and sort of volunteering in the back or volunteered on the bottling line or came into clean kegs or certainly how I got my start in it. You know, my assistant brewer right now who is one of the people that is the, one of the main cogs of everything we do right now. I met him and he was making sandwiches at Publix, which is a local grocery chain. And he was a home brewer who loved beer. And when I needed somebody, I walked, I, I, I literally went and got a sandwich and said, hey, you want a job? Do you wanna come learn how to brew? I know you wanna do this for your life. And years later, he's making some of the best beers we ever had. So it's uh, it's exciting that 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 that's the stories that we get out of this industry.
0: Yeah, man. That's really what it is. The stories of what I've been enamored by. The stories are much more fascinating than maybe people give credit for. And That's what we're trying to do here is tell those stories. And it's great. I love to be that, uh, you know, to just hear and stuff. I don't know. It makes you love it even more when you get to hear it and you get to sort of talk to the, you know, talk to people, and really get deep about how their motivations behind it and everything. It's, um, I don't know, it just makes you appreciate this whole thing. Cause it's not easy. And I'm like, I own a company and, and that's our, you know, that, that our job. So I respect the entrepreneurialism that it takes cause we have a digital agency. So it's capital light you guys are the literal opposite and i can (laughs) do that so i have the utmost respect for that side of anyone who has the balls you know to to go in and just you know give it a crack and make it work because there's so many things that can go wrong it's so you know it's like every little thing has to go right the process is science the shit is not exact i mean it is exact but sometimes it's not and sometimes the tiniest little thing changes everything and then on top of that branding marketing timing because these things have life spans and bubble you know this is so much to deal with and uh, people want to get- listen
1: I mean, we, we could talk about lab stuff for three hours. I could talk with you about marketing and branding forever, about the capital and startups of a brewery. This is my, this is my wheelhouse, man. I, I love this stuff.
0: I feel like that could be, there's something we've actually wanted to do is do a, uh, we've been doing themed seasons. Um, so you, you mentioned the one I did with my partner, Tiffany, my girlfriend who's a producer of this podcast and we started the non-profit with some other friends. And, um, we were doing so this is like our season where we kind of just you know just random fun interviews but we do these little themed seasons along the way and one of them we wanted to do was like a whole kind of you know maybe eight episodes or so about different elements of marketing and stuff so that could be something that we could do
1: anytime you want to have me back on it would be my absolute pleasure i've really enjoyed this conversation and i think it could be a lot of fun
0: oh love it i'll keep you posted do you want to do the uh the stop before we uh wrap it up
1: I'd love to. If we've got time, I'm, I'm, you got I'm time. with you, brother.
0: Let's do it. I want to let this triple warm up a little bit too because I, to, uh, I want to get into that. So I'm going to go and grab that one. Do you want to start uh, talking about this specific beer?
1: Yeah, of course I do. And I just want to say everything I've said up until this point, just throw it out the window because this is not classic. This is not subtle. This is your over-the-top We call the beer Sweet and Salty. It is a stout uh, at 7.7%. It is maple and sea salt. It is maple forward. You will smell the maple when you crack the can. It is salty. It has tons of flavor, maltiness coming out of it. And it is, yeah, it's the opposite of subtle. And we did this beer very specifically because we wanted to do something that was very outside of our wheelhouse, something that we ne- we would not necessarily do. Part of our canning series is absolutely trying to subvert those expectations and give people a, a different window into the other kind of possibilities of the kind of beers that Barrel Amongst can make. And Sweet and Salty was a brainchild of one of our uh, brewers, I do, I don't believe it's one of our brewers that's not there anymore. We made this beer as a one-off keg treatment for a specialty event uh, some time ago, and people really really enjoyed it. And we kind of kept it in the back of our pocket and said, well, you know, maybe we'll do something like this again sometime in the future if the opportunity arises for it. And when this canning series came up. And we were trying to think of things that barrel of monks would not necessarily do. We said, "Well, why don't we dust that one off? Why don't we throw that one in a can? Why don't we give some people a chance to take that one home?" Because it was a specialty five-gallon treatment keg that people enjoyed in the past, and sweet and salty was born. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I. <laughs> Spending all that time talking about subtlety and nuance and then all of a sudden we're talking about something that's going to smack you in the face.
0: It's, it's kind of, uh, that was intentional because I know uh, you know you were uh, generous and kind enough to give us a few options for uh, for this. And I was like, you know what? We're doing all these like, del- like you said, nuanced, delicate, clean Belgian styles. I was like, let's do the, uh, let's do the goddamn uh, pastry stat here. Would you consider this a pastry? I do.
1: I mean, I know a lot of the pastry stouts are traditionally an imperial stout, I believe, okay. and this is only seven point seven percent. But true. this is this is what we're going for. We specifically wanted to keep this at a lower ABV to make it a little more drinkable. Okay. Uh, I have, I've had, and I've made a lot of pastry stouts in my career uh, before okay. they were called pastry stouts. I was making a lot of pastry stouts. What uh, and what's that? What
0: were they called then? They called I them? mean.
1: Uh, we, uh, you know, when I was at Funky, when I was at Funky Buddha, I mean, we were just trying to make culinary beers. We were trying to do what Dogfish Ed did. We okay. wanted to do crazy adjuncts and fruit flavors and chocolate and vanilla and caramel and all those kind of things. Okay. And uh, we, we, we just called them extreme beers, honestly. I mean, we come from the Extreme Beer Fest in Boston every year. And uh, I think this is just the, the, the natural progression of that, of that mm-hmm. style of beer.
0: I love it. Cheers,
1: bro. Salute. But you've got that big maple nose. You've got an underlying stout with a little bit of fruitiness from the yeast strain that we use on this. And then the back end, you've got a little bit of salt. Um, We're agonizing over how much to use in this because perception is so unique to an individual, right? We did a, a, a treatment because when we make this beer, we add a certain amount of salt into the into the boil. You can't use too much sea salt or else you'll kill yeast. Yeah. Uh, so you have to get to a certain level and then you have to add the rest of your salt and your secondary. Mm-hmm. So we, me and the three brewers, the three people that are actually do the real work and actually have a, a job to make this beer, not like me, all sat around and tried different, treatments of five gallon treatments of this beer with a with a different salt volume and it was hilarious because one person would go this salt is over the top and too much and another person would go i can't taste the salt at all Mm. and you go well how can those two things exist simultaneously (laughs) that's not fair if we're trying to do something we've got to make sure that people can can taste it so it's a really hard thing because the taste is different from everybody, but we tried to find a nice balance that worked for all of us that gave it a savory aspect. That's what we were looking for. I'm not looking for it to be, you know, ocean water. I don't want it to be briny, but I wanted to give it a savory, sweet aspect to go along with that nice base stout and the roastiness that comes along with it.
0: I think you nailed that. The uh, I don't think I've ever had a – It's it's like – the the chocolate is there so heavily in a great way but there's like it's like the salt squashes the sweetness which essentially i guess would stop it being too cloying plus it's only 7.7 so it's not like over the top it, you know, like too much um, it, it's this is incredibly unique man the thank you of salt how would you compare that to say something like a salt beer Gosh,
1: like a goza or something like that. Like, like a goza? Yeah, so-, uh, so, so we do a goza. We had to do a little bit more salt in this than a goza just because gozas are traditionally lighter in body. So you're not competing with as much flavor, right? Because every time – if I've got a 5.5% goza, like I do actually do one called Blood Orange Bliss. It's a goza with blood orange and sea salt. Well, I'm fighting with a little bit of citrus and a very little malt at 5.5%. I can use a little bit of salt that goes a long way. Now I'm fighting with all this maple, a big multi chocolatey, 7.7% stout. Well, I got to raise this and raise this. And I mean, it's really this, this dance that's really, really hard to get right. And I always say this, and, and I believe this to my core, we have never done a full batch of this beer until the one you're trying. Okay. It is not perfect. If we ever do it again, it'll be better. And if okay. we do it five times, it'll be freaking perfect. And that's what you're always trying to go towards. Uh, the beers that you tried, and we were talking about the whip beer, the reason why that beer is so damn good I believe you also said some kind words is because we do it every day. <laughs> we, we have exp- we have experience with it. When you have a beer, you only make once a year or as a one-off. It's hard to nail it every time.
0: You roll the dice. And, and that's one of the big criticisms of like the breweries whose business model depends on four new beers a week that, you know, that sometimes they'll do the rotating ones where they'll bring the same beer back every other month or something. But more often than not, they don't have time to perfect it. And that has pros and cons. The, the the pros, I guess, it's fun, it's different. Like it's a roll of the dice. Is it going to be great? Is it going to be not so great? Um, could go either way. But I, you know what, this is this is feeding that beast. I guess right, the the nerd beast of the the FOMO and wanting to try something new. And I was really interested though when I saw the selection that you sent. It was four Belgian stuff and then two non. And I was like, well, we have to at least do one of the other I just thought if we did a triple, I wanted to kind of sit on that. It was a little bit higher and I, I def, like, I'll like i be able to get through these, no problem. But if was a 10% deal, I was like, oh, I don't know if I could, I don't want to waste it. So look, let me do that another time. And I thought this was the most, like you were saying, you did for your sixth anniversary, the, the double IPA. You know, just to prove a point, which is such a cool idea, the, the triple IPA, I'm genuinely fascinated to try it. For this though, because we were talking through all of these Belgian beers, I just thought this was like such a like a, a like a different direction than, than all the other Yeah, it's a left turn. It's an, a total left turn. And uh, it's it's, it's uh, you've used the same house yeast in this, yeah? Man, yeah, so crazy. So like what what does that deliver? Because now I've tried the you know, we've had three different beers with essentially the same yeast. Is that correct? Using yes. it or they yes. Yes. And different in the blonde, mm-hmm. or was it the same in the blonde? Yes. Okay. Yes. That, that explains all the mouthfeel and all that type of stuff. Amazing. So this one, same yeast or slightly different?
1: So this is this is our our what we B forty two. Yes, this is a yeast that we use in the triple as well. Um, the expression of this yeast, though, and this is one of the most interesting things about yeast, and this is why I said we can talk freaking science all day long. <laughs> when you ferment at different temperatures, you get different expressions of yeast. Okay a phenolic yeast strain can be more estery and more fruity depending on how you use it and what what attenuation goes through, how you pitch it, how many cells of yeast you pitch in. I mean, it's bananas, man. You you can modify something by 1% of pitch rate and change your flavor profile of a beer. I love that stuff. So this is more expressing a fruity flavor profile than... What we get a little more of a phenolic flavor flavor profile or a balanced phenolic and fruity flavor flavor profile with the triple okay. and it, we, we tend to see that with the darker beers that we do with this yeast strain we don't do all of our darker beers with this yeast strain but this is one that we we tended that we chose to do this one and you get you get more esters you get more fruit forward there's chocolate malt in here there's there's stout, Typical stout malts that give you a chocolatey flavor, but that dark fruit that's in the background of that is all propped up by the yeast strain.
0: Interesting to note that down. That's actually really good. I was curious to what it was, because, I I mean, obviously, once again, this is straight from the fridge, so I imagine it might shine through a little more as it warms, just like with the triple there. Um, It's so unique, but I'm getting like straight pastry stout for the most part. I know, like you said, pastry probably you're right it's probably like a you know 10 plus type of thing but i've heard you know i don't even know what else i call it does that stop maybe
1: no i i'm I, i'm totally fine with that i mean listen no listen when we divide this idea i to, i have to give the guys direction when they're putting a recipe together and i have to go listen we're going over the top with this one I want this to smack people in the face. I want them to go, wow, this is freaking exactly what they said it was going to be. And with some of my other beers, I might go, guys, I want this to be subtle. I want this to be a nuance of the beer. I want it to be a part of the conversation. I don't want it to be the whole conversation. And we're going to do that depending on the tradition of it. Have we released it before? Is this a new kind of thing? And I wanted this one to smack people in the face. I wanted the people that pre-ordered this beer to take it and bring it to a bottle share or a can share and go, man, you haven't tried this yet? This is pretty intense. Right. And I want to open up that conversation that Barrel Amongst does some stuff like this.
0: Mm. I, I think it's, I don't know, man. I think it's really smart because this is what I was saying before about being surprised by it, not knowing. I was basically, I didn't even look it up when we spoke. I was just like, hell yeah, let's go. Didn't check it out until more recently and saw the breadth of what you guys were doing. But when i saw these i just thought this is like such a cool addition to the repertoire and now you've explained why and how that all came about so it all makes a lot more sense to me but just the initial feeling was like it didn't feel weird that a a brewery that i would associate with strictly belgian stuff would be doing something like this dessert pastry kind of you know big stout um as well as these ipas and things like that i think it's it's cool because you are still using that yeast which is authentic to what you do. But like you said, it's those nuances which the temperature, small things to so use these same yeast that typically a person like me haven't hasn't been a big fan of for the quite for quite a while. You've like no word of a lie, not blowing smoke. Like you've really converted. I really have been genuinely intrigued and interested and enjoyed every single one of these beers. And and on paper they're not my thing. This is. But the other ones on. <laughs> and uh, I have enjoyed them thoroughly. These empty glasses are all in. You know, this is great.
1: Well, when when you try that double IPA, a triple IPA, I should say, uh, we won't be on camera at that time. We won't be having a conversation, but I want to hear from you. You you email me, you let me know what you think. Cause I, I, I love I love honest feedback. I'm really proud of that. And I'm interested to see what your what your play on that. Because that's a hazy IPA flavor profile. It's not milkshake right it's not completely opaque okay. but it has that kind of vibe and that flavor uh that i think you would enjoy and, I, and i'd hope to get your feedback
0: from it oh not a, not a question so when you mean like i know what you mean like it's sort of opaque as opposed to like murky like yeah orange juice type of thing okay um, <laughs> yeah t- totally get you totally get you no, I think it's really cool. I, I just I like this uh, I like the fact that you're able to experiment. I think that shows the quality like you were saying that the brewers they're able to sort of do a bit of everything from the traditional stuff to the kind of crazy trendy now stuff as well, uh, which you know from a business perspective that's that's perfect because it' be people interested in the brand and if they come in for this and maybe they're a pastry style type of person, then they'll you know, be like, oh, okay, let's see what's going on here. okay, you guys do this well. Wow. Let's see. I I know. I just like that. I think as a business, it all kind of like that makes sense. And that's really what yeah. it's cool to stick to one thing. But the fact that you're moving with the times while sticking to your roots is like sounds like a, a, you've got a really nice balance of, of what works and you obviously your audience. Too. We
1: we think so, and we're we're trying to uh, we're trying to, to flex our muscles a little bit and show the width and breadth of our operation.
0: I love it. Here for a brother. So then as far as uh, what, what can you tell the folks about uh, what's, you know, what, what are you guys got coming up that you'd like to share as far as maybe there's releases or things for people to look forward to being it's, what is it, October now? So we're in the fall.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we've actually got our Imperial Stout coming up. Uh, Parade of Souls will be out in a couple weeks as well as a beer called Owen, which is a triple aids in a tequila barrel, which is the perfect barrel for a triple because those phenols go so well with the spicy characteristics of a nice Añejo or representado tequila. So it's going to be out in late October. And then in November, we're going to have our Father Christmas. We'll be out in the store shelves and available at our tap room, which is such an important beer for us. Big, spicy, Christmas, Belgian, dark, strong ale. It really speaks to who we are at our core. And that's really what we got going on the rest of the year. Uh, these beers are really only available for the most part in our tap room. Father Christmas is available throughout most of Florida uh, in some large retail outlets. There will be some that will go to a couple of different states and maybe a little bit overseas. But, you know, most of our beers are really only available at our tap room. We're working on some shipping options we're working on some things we might be able to do in the future but right now we can't do any of those things so i know your listeners are for all from all over the place and uh probably can't get barrel of monks uh in their in their local market we're working on that but we'd love for people who have a chance to get their hands on it to give it a try
0: i love it you know that's what trading's for You know, that's what. Yes, uh, absolutely. I feel like the trading, the trading game, is probably like ten x during these pandemic times when you know maybe movement wasn't as much. Even for us, like I used to travel all the time; that was part of what we did. And now we've sat our asses here for the vast majority of the last two years. And uh, you know, trading and and, and shipping beer and stuff is what's kept it all alive, even if it's not 100 percent by the book. Because you guys have nothing to do with it; you don't know what people do when you are buying beer. It is what it is. (laughs) <laughs> for the record, for those who are listening, which markets can people, at the very least, get uh, Havana and Wizard in?
1: So, we are selling some beer in Pennsylvania in the Philadelphia area. We're selling some beer in Vermont. We're selling some beer in Montana, California, uh, also uh, Delaware and Maryland. Uh, I mean, we're doing distribution in those states. I, I, obviously, the distributors we have. Cover those states, but really in the major cities and, and things of that nature, where you're going to find the the concentration of those, and then you know all throughout Florida.
0: All throughout Florida, I love it. No, it's amazing. Yeah, um, Kevin, this has been awesome, bro. Um, we got to get the thumbnail for YouTube, so I'm going to take a screenshot. You want to hold up some uh, some beers there, and we can look pretty for the people. I'm going to try and see if I can get all three bottles in my hands. Yeah, i can do it. You can do it. Yeah, you got that. Alright, come on, come on, come on, I got it, I got it, I got it. Oh shit, come on, come on, come on. I'm green.
1: just trying to get everything in and in, in the same screen and yeah, doing it really, fun. really poorly.
0: <laughs> <ready>? Gorgeous. Um <laughs> Kev, stick around after we'll wrap this up and then we'll we'll finish up. where uh, where can everybody find Barrel of Monks online? <laughs>
1: uh barrel pretty simple all of our social media instagram facebook type in barrel Amongst, you'll find us we we own all those uh those links so it's pretty easy and you can see all the new things we have coming up if you're a trader if you know someone in the area and you want them to come down and get one of our beers uh check us out on instagram all the stuff goes up there uh we're selling beer on osner if you're uh if you're on that uh app which is becoming bigger and bigger throughout the country. And you can check us out there. And also, if you are a big podcast fan, of course you are. You're listening to this one and you love craft beer, you can actually check me out as well on UnitedWeDrink.com or United We Drink is the name of the podcast. And uh, we're on every single one of those, you know, Google Play, Apple, everything. And it's me, my head brewer. And one of my best friends who actually works in another brewery local to us. And we talk about beer all the time. And it's a lot of fun. So you can check us out there as well as United We Drink podcast.
0: I am subscribing right now, sir. Um Kevin Champion, bro. <laughs> Genuine pleasure to hang out. This was this was really interesting. It was engaging. The beers were phenomenal. I appreciate your time and your generosity. This has been a ton of fun. So everyone, please go follow Kevin, United We Drink at the podcast, and obviously Barrel Monks everywhere. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode, mate, smash the thumbs up. Hit subscribe below. Hit the notification bell so you know when the new new drops. Follow us on social media at BAOS Podcast. We are dropping podcasts every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. As we were recording this one, there was another one going live beforehand, which was, uh, you know, what's the word? Meta, sort of, kind of. Maybe not. But either way, we'll see you guys next week. Cheers.